Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brett Wilsey, just about 8.01 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning. Talking about your money, the economy, wealth, all those important things to help you grow your net worth. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How you doing? Hey, good morning. Doing good. I was just sitting here thinking, just like, gosh, into March already. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, we're closing in on the end of the, the first quarter. Yeah. And I, I looked over and I didn't, I've been talking to you the whole morning. I looked over, your hair is different. Like, uh, oh, I was wearing a hat. Oh. Okay. But I didn't like wearing the hat with the headphones. So <laughs> I took it off. Yeah, so your hair is kind of like in, in your face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but uh, anyways, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, crazy things in the market, the economy, the, the Ukrainian war, uh, so many things. And, uh, you know, we'll be opening the phones up uh, probably about 15 minutes or so. Uh, phone numbers. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, before that, I was just going to sure. say, I mean, it, it's crazy. Again, we talk about this all the time. You can't time the stock market. No. Who would have thought that we're still in the middle of a war? We have inflation going crazy, and the market's only down about 4% today. <laughs> this is why you can't try and, again, time it and use your emotions to make these investment decisions. Yeah, and, and you're so right because, uh, again, timing doesn't work, and this is a prime example. Uh, and then next week it could be down. And so then if you, if you was like, well, I missed it, I better get in. So then you buy now, like, oh, and then it goes down. Like, oh, well now, so you don't time, you, you buy good quality businesses. That's what we're here for. That's how we manage our portfolio. That's what we share with you. Uh, phone numbers, I'll give them to you now, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And Chase, before we go into that, uh, let's talk about the workshop coming up on Thursday. Uh, April 7th in Scripps Ranch starts at 6 o'clock because this is where people get really kind of crazy and nervous. You don't know what to do. That's why we do this workshop because we talk about what is true financial planning. We talk about, I designed this many, many years ago, the individualized concentrated value portfolio. That is what really weathers the storm. It's done very well for myself and my clients over many, many years. How to find good quality businesses at good prices. And then also too, why investing in strong equities can give you the best long-term return if done properly. And that's the key, if done properly. So we show you everything we do. It is a free workshop, but you have to sign up to it for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call the office, uh, talk with uh, Priscilla, I believe, takes the, uh, the calls there, 858-546-4306. Uh, that's 858-546-4306. Oh, six. I feel like I'm short. Am I, is my chair low or something here? I, I feel, don't know. <laughs> I, 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 Maybe mine's cause, high because I feel Because I know I'm too. a little bit taller than you. I'm kind of looking up to you right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the uh, Apple uh, new phone SE. I recently read about uh, all the hype on Apple products from the recent product event and a special notice was taken to the big push on the new phone, the SE, which starts at only 400 and $29 versus $699 for the cheapest iPhone 13. This is being portrayed as a phone that may get others to upgrade from the older phones and also maybe, just maybe, some Android users to switch over to the Apple platform. And, and while this is 
all true. I do wonder if people shopping for an iPhone would go for the $429 SE phone and save themselves hundreds of dollars. By doing this, what will it do to Apple's profit margin, profits overall? Well, obviously, the dollar profit is far lower on the SE than their other iPhones. We will see going forward if Apple will continue to trade for such high valuations while they experience a slowdown in hardware sales after the unsustainable surge they experienced during the pandemic. Time will tell, but investors, this is something you, you got to consider. And I, I was thinking, too, for myself, I still have my iPhone. I think it's the iPhone 7. I thought you had the 8. That's you... the 7 or the 8. Well, <laughs> whatever one remember it is. so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I mean, the way I look at it is I'm going to keep this phone until it kind of craps out here right but then i'd probably get the se but it, it the se doesn't make me go oh 420 i want to get rid of my iphone now and go get it right and i know i'm just one consumer but i know our, our financial planner harrison's kind of in the same boat as well he he loves his iphone 6 <laughs> <laughs> and he's not he, that doesn't entice him but he said the same thing is like yeah when my iphone kind of dies out i guess i'll get the se because it's 429 i I guess for me, I would never consider the 13. Well, and it, what's kind of funny is that uh, I'm kind of laughing at you, but I just, what, probably about four or five months ago, I just uh, got rid of my iPhone 7, and it, was, it wasn't because of the fact that it, it wasn't working right. Oh, no, it was because it wasn't working right, and I had to get something else. And then I got, I, I, I did a used phone, and then like, well, that didn't work out very well. I got the iPhone 10, and then that started messing up. So I, I just walked in the store, and I go, just give me the easiest thing so I can be out of here in 10, 15 minutes. So I think I got the iPhone 13. Which one it is, I don't know. But it's just like I wanted something convenient and easy. But what I'm looking at, the average person is going to say, well, wait a minute. What am I getting for the difference? I mean, $429 is not a bad price. Yeah. So what am I going to be getting if I'm going to spend another three, four? I, I think it goes high as a thousand dollars. Yeah. So it's just like, an, unless you want to be the tech cool guy, you know, you may say it's just a phone that I can text on it. I can go the the internet on it. Um, I can listen to Smart Investing Show on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, I, why spend another you know six hundred dollars, especially now with inflation, rising gas prices? People are gonna start looking like, where can I save? Maybe I can get by with the SE. Yeah, I I just. I mean, I, I've been off on that Apple train for the last few cycles just because I, I haven't seen the allure. They're saying this one now is the 5G, but 5G to me hasn't obviously been proven just yet. So, you know, it, it could be a year or two until 5G really catches on. And for me, I, I, I mean, I know if you look back over time, the Internet, like the Internet used to be fast. But now if you look at trying to use the Internet and those speeds, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's taking forever. Right. I mean, maybe that's what's going to happen with 5G. But. For me, it's still not enough to, to upgrade just yet. Well, mine's 5G, and I don't see any difference. I mean, I, I don't... The networks, know. I don't think, are, are fully yeah. functional just yeah. yet. And I think the SE, I think that's going to be 5G as it well. It is. Five. Yeah. That's, yeah. Why, that's why they're saying it's going to get people like myself and other consumers that haven't upgraded yet to upgrade is because it is 5G compatible. Right. And, and what worries me is that, they're again, their profits, they go up, but it's not as much as expected because if you spend... Four and twenty-nine dollars for a phone versus a thousand dollars for a phone. Their profits percent could be the same, but dollars a lot lower. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking it's funny because they're saying that it'll get people to switch because of 5G. The people like myself that have the iPhone sevens, the iPhone sixes, they're not techies, so I don't think they care That's about right. 5G. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what is 5G? Is it faster? Well, I don't need to have that faster. So yeah, I mean, and, and again, I've not seen any difference on on my yeah. at all. I just, I, and, and overall, I mean, this is all kind of our opinions on the iPhone. But uh, I, I just, 
I don't see where their growth is going to come from. The other thing I talked about is for years, if you actually looked at Apple's sales growth and their true net income growth, it, it hasn't been that phenomenal. A lot of their earnings growth has come from stock buybacks. Yeah. Well, now they're still buying back stock, but trading at over 30 times earnings and having a market cap of nearly $3 trillion, they're not able to buy back as much stock, which is going to reduce the amount of earnings growth they're having because of those stock buybacks. So I just... I think the the slowdown could be very problematic, and and we saw a pullback on Apple, but now it's back to trading near their their highs. I, I I'd be cautious. I just don't see how this company goes from a three trillion dollar company to a six trillion dollar company. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and how many companies have you looked at uh, over the years, and you look at them and you look back saying, why were they buying their stock at twenty five times earnings? It made no sense, but yeah. they just keep doing it. And again, everything comes back to the norm. And, and Apple's a great company. They got some great products. It's a great, you know, well-run business. But something's going to trip them up, and uh, you know, I think investors will be sad. And this is another thing too that, that was quite interesting uh, was Google mm-hmm. kind of had that deal now with Spotify that's going to allow Spotify to charge in their own app rather than uh, Google's kind of allowing them to circumvent the Google fees. Mm. And this is something that Apple's had like a, a great profit margin on is is their in-app billing and kind of taking a, a profit or a cut of the profits right. from from their other app providers if that does change that's another thing that could hinder their growth and especially that services which has been such high margin such a, a focal point of growth in the, the apple business it, it's just again apple's trading at a price that everything's meant to go right and if things start to not go right that that's where you'll see the stock get cut 20 30 a 40 percent yeah people say ah that could never happen to apple well i remember a time when apple used to not trade above 12 times earnings yeah we loved it back then yep and i still love the company but i won't pay i think it's what 25 times earnings or something it's somewhere around there that's pretty high well chase a big question is we'll ask the listeners as well would you fly in an airplane that uses only electricity the electric vehicle market has taken off but there's always a question would you fly in a plane that uses only electricity most of the time, the answer is no, but there's another alternative for clean energy. General Electric developed the use of the hydrogen to run gas turbines to generate power, which generates zero carbon emissions. They are now adopting hydrogen to be used with gen engines. And this is not the first time the technology has been thought of. Back in 1988, the Soviet Union did actually have a hydrogen plane, which flew around 100 flights before the Soviet Union came to an end. It is now expected that by the end of the decade, jets could have dual engines of both oil and hydrogen. One of the headwinds, though, of using hydrogen is it must be compressed into liquid for storage and maintained at a temperature of negative 423 degrees Fahrenheit. That is cold. That's very cold. (laughs) And I'm sure as this technology develops, answers will become more readily available. I'm sitting here thinking, what happened to the Soviet Union plane, though? I mean, did it not work out? Well, just because the Soviet Union ended, I mean, you would think the technology would have stuck around if it was a viable alternative. Yeah, and maybe just got buried someplace because that, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union and so forth uh, it could be buried somewhere and people don't pick up on it. We're now, and again, maybe it wasn't needed, but I still think of, what was it, the Hindenburg that had hydrogen. They, Is that the big blob? blob? The, the, what they call it, not a balloon, but... Um, uh, uh, blimp. The blimp, yeah, the blimp. And it was, uh, I think it was all hydrogen, how that blew up and so forth. Yeah. I mean, obviously that was 
over 100 years ago. But it's still, it's just amazing what technology can do. And that's why I tell people it's just not going to be electric vehicles, electricity. It's going to be other things as well. And uh, I know I would, I would be afraid of, of flying in an electric plane because... Well, what if the power just went yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or what if it gets hit by lightning? You yeah, know? And it just maybe that recharge Maybe not the way you want being to. Being facetious. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, let's talk about the energy sources. Uh, electric vehicles seem to receive all the hype, but I believe it would be best to have multiple sources for energy. If we become too dependent on electric grid, outages of short uh, supply disruptions could cause major price hikes. One area that doesn't receive as much attention is renewable diesel. This fuel can be used in current diesel engines. That just amazes me. And it uses animal fats, plant oils, soybean oils, and used cooking oil as feedstock rather than crude. Yeah, and the company Valero is a large producer of renewable diesel. And at the current time, if you consider the fuel, feedstock, and vehicle manufacturing, the company actually says it produces 40% fewer emissions than an EV. It is important to remember that the electric grid is primarily powered by non-renewable energy. As of 2020, 40% of electricity generation came from natural gas, 19% came from coal, 1% came from petroleum, 20% came from nuclear, and the remaining 20% is actually what came from renewable sources, such as wind and solar. So it's such a small part of the electric grid. That's why Valero is saying, well, if you actually take into consideration the electric grid being run on fossil fuels, and also to the idea that batteries are heavier to transport them, it's actually worse for the environment and the manufacturing, it's slightly worse for the environment. That's why they're saying, oh, actually the, the renewable diesel it reduces 40% fewer emissions. And I just see Jack in the Box, McDonald's make a lot of money because all the grease that they yeah. spin out there, that would be great for, for fuel. But uh, no, I mean, it, it, it's, it's another alternative that you don't hear much about. Uh, and it's just something that I, I, I don't think it's be all electric vehicles. I think we are getting off some of the, the oil, but I think it's be a combination of different things that we're going to use our energy for. And this, this alternative seems to be great because it's just, uh, you know, using stuff that is uh, used already. Yeah, and, and I had uh, a comment on social media. And if do you want to actually look at the chart that Valero produced, we did post that on yeah. our social media. You can go to you know Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I uh, just look up Brent Wilsey, Chase Wilsey, and you can actually see the the chart that Valero did produce that, that shows the difference between the renewable diesel and electric vehicles. It, it, it's quite interesting. Um, but the the thing is, somebody commented saying, "Oh, that would be terrible because you know then they're going to need to plant more like soybeans, stuff like that. That's going to drive up the price of soybeans." And I said, well, that's exactly what we're saying is if we're too reliant on one energy source, that's a problem. I'm not saying go 100% renewable right. diesel, but it, you're right. If we use crude oil, if we use soybeans, if we use, use cooking oil, if we use animal fats, if we use you know electricity, if we use hydrogen, all of a sudden we're in a pretty diverse place where we can pull from different levers to actually produce that energy. And I think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, because no matter what the source is, there's going to be some problem with it. I mean, one thing I always think about on the EV market, what's going to happen with all these batteries down the road? Mm -hmm. You know I mean? Because I, I believe they have stuff in them. You know, how are you going to dispose of them? So that every every source you have that provides energy has some type of byproduct that's going to maybe be bad later on. But if you use different sources, oil, um, feedstock, you use electric vehicles, you use hydrogen, you're, you're not going to have any major big one problem uh, with that. So I, I, that's what I, I think the direction we're headed. And I mean, I'll, I'll pull out the, the current situation with crude oil. 
I, I mean, what's going on with Russia? It's like, well, we couldn't really control that. And that's one of the reasons right. we've seen crude oil prices spike, which hurt. Well, if we had another substitute for energy we could re- rely on, it wouldn't be as damaging to, to the economy. Same thing could happen with the electric grid. Again, all of a sudden, the electric grid, for whatever, ha- has a power outage. Like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh, okay, well, we have crude oil to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Having substitutes and having different levers to pull, that's a big benefit, in my opinion. Right. And the thing is, as investors, you want to say, well, how can I take advantage of this? Yeah. You know, where can I invest? But again, we don't invest in the EV market because there's no profits there, but there's other ways to make profits on some of these other things. Maybe by Jack in the Box stock. Just kidding. Yeah, I, I, I don't think know, maybe there's a good buy. I, I don't know. haven't looked at Jack in the Box in quite a while. I know. I've not eaten there in a while either. Yeah. So, have you eaten there lately? No. No. Yeah. I used to like it. But <laughs> let's talk about the uh, 10-year Treasury because some big things happened yesterday. I want to talk about the 10-year Treasury and the housing market. The 10-year Treasury yesterday crossed the 2.5% mark. Last year, I thought we would hit the level by the end of 2021. I was off by a few months, <laughs> came in in March here. Uh, this could cool the housing market as mortgage rates continue to rise, pushing more and more people out of the housing market as those monthly payments become more and more expensive. I do believe by the end of the year, we'll see the 10-year treasury somewhere around three and a quarter percent. I think we're going to be closer to 3%. I know you think three and a quarter. I think I'm going to go 3%. Uh, It really depends, I think, on how, again, the lapping of the the elevated used car prices and things that we saw last year. I think that's what's going to be a telltale sign for the 10-year note by the end of the year is what is inflation going to look like in May, June, July of this year. I think that's what's really going to give a stronger indication of the 10-year note. But I digress. That that also means <laughs> this year we could see mortgage rates back in the five percent range, and will housing prices hold? I I, I don't believe so. I, I mean, I, you know, we say five percent range. That's what we said yesterday. I was actually doing a little bit more research into it, and the the average thirty year mortgage yesterday, it's crazy. Look at different sources, but they were like it was four point five, four point six percent. But I was talking to a mortgage broker, and he said I'm pricing mortgages right now in the fives already. What he was telling me was that the average price that you see or the average interest rate that you see on, on those sources uh, doesn't account for people that are buying points. So if you buy points, that reduces right. your mortgage rate. So if you were to go get a mortgage rate right now and you didn't buy any points, well, you're probably looking somewhere in the fives already, which is going to hit that monthly payment. And I We already know affordability is tough for people. Now a higher interest rate, that's going to now yeah. reduce the amount that people can pay for that house. It's going to price even more people out of the market. So you're going to have to either see housing prices go down, or if they maintain themselves, nobody's going to be able to afford homes. <laughs> yeah, and, and see, and eventually, I think they will come down because, of the fact, they have to. I mean, because there are people that want to sell their house and get out, and uh, they're going to lower the price of that home so that people can afford it. And I know there's a certain amount of cash buyers out there. I think they're going to disappear as well as they say, well, wait a minute. It's not that great deal. It was. I'm not going to make 20% of my money next year. I might lose money. I'm going to hold off. So it really comes down to people that really want a home for a place to raise their family and their kids and so forth, that uh, then it becomes more of a real situation saying, I can't afford this house. Uh, I'm going to wait. So Yeah. And I just, I mean, we had this discussion in the office yesterday and I, I, I think there's still going to be areas around the country, and that's the thing too. When you talk about the housing market, there's there's still going to be pockets of opportunity. Don't get us right. wrong there. You know, it's the same thing with the stock market. Just because we say the stock market's too pricey doesn't mean there's not pockets of opportunity. But I mean, I was looking 
my next door neighbor's house right now just sold for $1.5 million. And I walked by the house and I was like, what? <laughs> $1.5 million? Like, it is just ludicrous what these houses are. It is on a golf course. It's not a golf course, but <laughs> well, I, I we can live with that. Yeah, it's just, it makes no sense. And I, I talked to a lot of like my younger friends as well. Right. And we're like, how in the world is anybody in our age group able to buy a house at this point? And you know it would be fun to do. We don't have time to do it here on the radio show. But that house, and I know you're rounding up, uh, $1.5 million. Um, what was the mortgage payment when mortgage was at 3%? What will they be at 5%, 5 I think it's going to start to be a, a difference to where like it's going to kick more people out of affordability. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's... Again, uh, we've been saying now for the last year to be cautious, and I hit, nothing goes to the moon, and especially here in San Diego, and people, oh, San Diego real estate's great, and it's done so great over the long term. you got to remember that if you're looking at a peak, of course it's going to look great yeah. because it's going to have great returns, but if all of a sudden you see a downturn, it's it's not going to look so great. And I, I just don't see how people can continue to afford it, and, and the, you know, kind of what people are saying is, well, San Fran, people from San Francisco are moving down to San Diego, and, <clears throat> and then I think people from San Diego are not going to be moving elsewhere because right. I can't afford that. <laughs> you know, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, here. yeah. Be on the lookout because rates are rising. So, all right. Phone number is eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go up to. Uh, we had somebody else there, and I was very curious on what he was asking. Something about Islander. Trip. I thought maybe it's the wrong. Yeah, we, we don't know what it was. It like Big Islander thing. So I know it was a maybe. Maybe you I can't it was, see the screen. So. Yeah, I know. Maybe it was a, you thought it was a sports show. Yeah, I don't maybe. Know. I don't <laughs> but, know. Uh, but uh, let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Joe. Joe, you're in the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Uh, good morning, guys. Good morning. Oh, geez, you just wasted a couple seconds of my time with that Islander thing. But uh, <laughs> I know. Well, it's just, I'm sitting here looking at that. Like, what is this guy calling about the Big Islander? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that yeah. um <laughs> hey um, you know, i know i know you guys say you can't predict the market you know but i mean brent after you know being in the business for 40 years i was just wondering <laughs> if you could tell me your prediction maybe if uh do you think we're going to retest the lows or not um i you know Can you tell me what's going to happen in russia ukraine yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I think the russia ukraine situation I'm, I'm hearing things are getting better i hear that your ukraine is actually pushing back into russia so i and you don't know what Putin's going to do. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of prepared for it. We're not like jumping all in. We're making sure people are full, you know, pretty much fully invested. But we do have some things in reserve. Um, I think, and again, this is only March, soon to be April. We also, I, I'm kind of looking at it too. We have generally that, that that old saying, "Go away in May, you know, and come back in October, or whatever." I am thinking that maybe there could be something that else happens, maybe May, June, or July. So I would not say jump all in. Maybe keep a little bit out for that. We're being very cautious what we're buying. So. Yeah, and, and one thing that I think you could see actually happen is, the funny thing is that the market's actually recovered everything since the Ukraine invasion. The fact, market it was at about 4%. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it is now. The market was struggling at the beginning of the year due to rising interest rates. Well, now rising interest rates have actually continued to... I'm going to say even accelerate. Right. And I think if that remains the case, you're going to continue to see big tech and even other high price tech names. That's what I think could cause a retesting of the lows uh, in the stock market. I, I would not be surprised to see that. And, you know, we can't give our returns, but the beginning of the year we were, we were doing great and we're still doing good, obviously, but we were doing great compared to the indexes because, well, 
it was the interest rate problem. And I think we're going to see more focus shift towards that yep. now that this Russia-Ukraine situation is, is hopefully coming to an end here soon. And, and Joe, you don't ask because you're trying to time the market, are you? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, from this last week, obviously, <laughs> you would think that it's not going to retest the market, but um, I'm still in the camp that it will. I'll retest the lows, um, you know, because the Fed's got to make that landing too. You know, I mean, there's there's just things, and they can't get it right every time. Yeah, I, and so that's my. If I had to give a prediction, yeah, I think we're going to retest the lows, but it's it's hard to even say that the way the market's been going. Yeah, and, and but, one thing uh, I, hey, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> oh, my, my two stocks, um, which are both relevant today, as um, uh, PFE and uh, PSX, well, and I was wondering. Which one? Which one is your favorite that you want to go with? God, they're both relevant. You know, I mean, I remember you gave me a one on PSX a long, a while back, and you know, saying it was going to get to 100. I mean, it never, it never did. I got it at a really good price, but I'm just wondering. Gosh, you know, it's part of my annuity, but should I get rid of it or not? I'm kind of there with that. But uh, the other one is the one I was going to call on at first. All right, well, let's, let's, yeah, let's let's look at Pfizer then for you, because Pfizer is one okay. that we we've not looked at in a while. And I and I do believe, you know, we talked about the market and so forth. I, I, I think, and I'm not saying Pfizer's the one, but I do think this is a time that maybe some drug companies could make sense to put in people's portfolios. So uh, not saying it's Pfizer, but, but let's say you look at Pfizer, their symbol is PFE. They are in the drug manufacturing general industry. Only 1.1% uh, float uh, is what they have. Uh, kind of surprised here, not as much institutional ownership, only 68.2%. The P.E. ratio looks pretty good at 13.4. I say that because the industry is at 20.8. Price of sales looks good, 3.7 versus 4.1. Price of tangible book value is around 100, but the industry is not material. And then price of cash flow is 9.3, better than the industry at 14.4. And this is kind of eludes me. The uh, pig ratio is zero versus 1.4. I've never seen a zero pig ratio um, because usually the lower number, the better, but I don't see how zero would be a good number. So I'd, I'd want to maybe look at that again next week, see if we get a different number on that. Looking at the earnings growth of last year, they are up 233%, well above the industry at 30%. Uh, we see sales did climb by 95.2% above the industry at 19.3. The five-year earnings per share growth on this by the analyst is 103.9% versus 14.5. We do see a dividend of 3%. They only use 40% of their earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. they got a good current ratio here, 1.4, about the same as the industry at 1.5. Debt equity, only 0.5 versus 1.3, so a very nice balance sheet for uh, Pfizer. Net profit margin, 27% versus 20. And then return equity, 28.5. About the same as the industry at 28.6. Jace, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Pfizer was well, $52.78, has fallen from the high of $61.71, and 52-week low $35.64. It appears almost as if it's kind of been trading more with the, the, the COVID and all the spike in COVID. It looks like they, they hit highs, and now things are kind of reduced now that they pulled back a little bit. I mean, year-to-date return down about 10%. Uh, you know, 10-year return, though, done pretty good, up 273%. But I, I, I'm kind of surprised they've, they've been trading that much around the COVID news because my understanding initially was COVID was going to be such a small part of their 
uh, vaccine business right. and their <laughs> overall sales. So uh, I want to kind of see a little bit more details of how big the COVID vaccine is in terms of their overall revenue now. Especially I'm quite curious because if we go out to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.40. Now, it gives us a good target sale price of $89.64. But the problem is December 2022, they're estimating to make $7.12. So to go from $7.12 to $5.40. And then there's still 11 analysts out in 2024, which falls from 17. But 11 is still pretty substantial. goes from $5.40 down to $4.47. So you're talking about two years going from 712 to 447. I do not like to see declining earnings of that nature. And, and normally I, I don't like to see that either. But one thing I like about this is that it shows me that the analysts are, are realizing that COVID is not going to keep providing them big money. I think, I think it's a drop off of the COVID. I, just, I didn't seeing. think it was that big. Well, uh, I'm kind of surprised. Well, remember now they've got not just the vaccination, but they now they got the booster one, two, three, four, twenty. <laughs> and <laughs> I think they have the antiviral pill. Antiviral, too. Yeah. yeah. So that, so it's a lot around COVID, and I I believe, and again, that COVID is kind of on the way out. I mean, it's been now what going on two years. Um, so I think this will probably be the last year we hear about it. By 2023, you may not hear COVID at all. So I'm glad to see that the analysts are saying yes, the earnings going down. So as, as we like to buy businesses longer term, that makes sense. And if you know that why it's going down because of COVID, well, it still might make sense doing it, even though you know the earnings are going to go down. Yeah, so. I, it's just something, a, a caution there, Joe. I mean, the numbers still look good on Pfizer. You get you get that good dividend yield, especially when you bought it earlier. <laughs> so you're probably getting even better yield than 3%. Um, but I, I would just be a little bit leery of, of those declining earnings. Well, you know, COVID, uh, saying COVID's going away is, to me, it's like saying the flu is going away. You know, it's like it's not going to be talked about anymore. <laughs> well, and and, and, I and I, I'm glad you corrected me on that. It's not going to go away, but it's going to be like the flu where nobody cares. You know, it's not going to be the big thing like, oh, we got to shut down. Oh, we got to wear a mask. Um, it, I mean, COVID is a, a virus that will be here. And actually, it's been around, what is it, the H1, H2? I mean, these are H1 all. H1N1, yeah. Yeah, it's all, it's all part of that, that thing there, but it's not going to be where it's such in, in the forefront to where we're going to do what we did before. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all right, guys. Hey, I want to thank you a lot. And, uh, and if you have time, uh, can you hit that PSX? You, you know what, Joe? You, you're causing a slow morning, so we got no other callers. So, you want to talk about oh, PSX? Let's do it. Then. Yeah, sure. What, 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 what? I'm, I almost cussed here. I got to be careful. <laughs> oh, come on. Man. You just got to, you know, be yourself, you know, Brent. <laughs> I try to be good. <laughs> we had a, this is a family uh, show, I know. <clears throat> we had a big. Uh, <clears throat> presentation last week was last week yeah it was last Saturday <clears throat> and something happened I, I cussed like right you know like oh I almost said it again that's yeah. one of the words I say a lot Let, <laughs> let's move on Let, let's move on talk about Philip 66 once it's on the air it's always on the air yeah. <laughs> now a podcast yeah it's, it's yeah. there forever <laughs> right. <clears throat> see and actually I'm getting uh condemned here because I can't I, I got like a frog in my throat right now so let's move on talk about Philip 66 uh symbol is PSX in the oil and gas refining and marketing industry only 2.7% <clears throat> is the uh, uh, float, 71% uh, institutional ownership, PE ratio 28. Now that's very high because the industry is at 16. Price to sales 0.3, same as the industry. Price to tangible book value 2.8. That's very good because the industry is at 12.1. And then price to cash flow 6.1, also below the industry at 8.4. So I like seeing this. And even a nice peg ratio here of 0.8 <clears throat> versus 7.3. 
Look at the earnings growth, uh, nothing for the one year, same as the industry, but for the five year, uh, earnings growth was 0.3%, 3.4 for the industry. The sales growth for one year for Philips 66, so however, is very nice at 73.8, but the industry is at 83.9. We do see a five year growth rate from the analysts here, 13% versus 9.2, that's a positive. Uh, we do see a dividend yield here, wow, 4.4. However, they're using 121% of their earnings to pay that out because I think probably about four quarters ago or three quarters ago, probably still their earnings were kind of low. I think as we move court, you know, another quarter ahead, we'll see that payout ratio improve quite a bit. We do see that they have grown that dividend over the five years by 7.9%. Also to look at the balance sheet, got a current ratio 1.2 versus 1.6, debt to equity is only 0.8 versus 1.4, and then net profit margin 1.2, that's below the industry at 3.5, return to equity checks in 6.8 versus 19.4. I'd like to see those two a little bit higher, and we might see that improve in the future. Chase, going forward. There's a current price here for Phillips 66. Well, it's $83.85, 52-week high, $94.34 in the low. $63.19. Had a good start to the year up about 17% as energy's been doing well. Uh, I do see, though, over the last five years, it's only up 32% as we know energy longer term has struggled. But if we go out to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share $7.84 would give us a target sell price of $130.14. So it looks very, very attractive there in terms of the, the valuations. I think that... Uh, energy is, is going to maintain these high levels. I don't necessarily see a huge spike from where we're at, but right. I think we'll see a maintaining of these prices uh, for a few months. And I, I'd be a little bit curious too on the refining side. We talked about the renewable diesel at the beginning of the show. I'm curious if they're doing anything in that space to kind of diversify the portfolio. But I do believe you're going to see a great first quarter here for these refineries because the diesel market in Europe right now is very constrained. I think they're going to have some great profit margins in, in Q1. All right, Joe. Yeah, you know, they have got over 100 bucks for the longest time, you know, and it's just, you know, it's been a long time, actually, since they've got over 100. So I'm just wondering about the 130. That seems even higher than last time we got the estimate at 101, I think it was. But, um, yeah, okay, that, that's great. You know, I did get into one of the pot stocks, um, you know, and, it, and I was just losing a ton of money when I first did. You know, and, I, and it, it came you know, it came all the way back, and I made like 10 grand out of it. But but if I had just held on to it a little longer, man, after that legalization thing came into play, you know, it's, oh, I could have made over 100 grand. Well, uh, and actually on the pot stocks, though, I saw that they're way down, even though the legalization, I mean, like yeah. Canopy and Telray, I mean, gosh, I remember them much, much higher um, than they are now. So, but... But I guess maybe you were much lower before. Oh yeah, no, I got a decent price, but it went a lot. It went lower, and I just, uh, you know, I was down a lot. And then, well, luckily I came back and I made money, but I could have made a lot more if I just held on a little longer. I guess. But <laughs> yeah, it was a risky one, and I knew it. I want to get out of it while I got my money back. Yeah, 2018 Tilray was at 145 dollars a share. It's now at 856. It Ooh. was up 22 percent yesterday, but right. <laughs> it's still down about 90 percent from the highs. So I'm glad you didn't buy at those levels, Joe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, thanks a lot, guys, for hitting up too for me. All right, Joe. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open up the phone line. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And I want to talk about that workshop coming up a couple weeks away, Thursday, April 7th, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. 
This is where we show you everything we do. We show you how we get our target sell prices, how we go over the, the valuation ratios, how we look at the, the financial statements, all these important things <clears throat> to make you a smarter investor. But what you have to do, you have to sign up for the workshop. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. <clears throat> That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Talk to Priscilla. Get you signed up, and and I promise you, you'll you'll learn things you've never learned before. Uh, and I've been doing these these workshops now for probably twenty years. I've never had anybody come up and say, you know, this will waste my time. I didn't learn anything because we we really go deep into the fundamental analysis to really help you understand true investing. Yeah, so. no, it, it's a it's a great workshop, and that's how we manage money. That's how we, yeah. we find the investments. We're we're not here to to kind of say, oh yeah, you know, this is how we do things. Oh, by the way, here's a great annuity. We don't do that. Everything we do is showing you how we invest. And a lot of times people don't have the time to do the research that mm -hmm. we do. And, and that's why a lot of people hire us. But, you know, at that workshop, we do show you everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why we like to have you there. So, hey, uh, what time is it? 8.36. You know, let's talk about financial planning. For that, let's turn to our uh, CFP, uh, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. Doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I see today we're talking about financing with higher interest rates. This is something very important because that looks to be the direction we're going. What you got for us this morning? So we've been saying it for a while, but at some point rates are going to go up. Um, now we're seeing 30-year mortgages that are in the 5%, where just a couple months ago you could get those in the twos. So there has been um, an increase, and that has come very fast. Um, so... <clears throat> First thing is, if you have any adjustable rate or variable rate loans out there like HELOCs or PAL accounts, you're going to want to keep an eye on that because those interest rates get adjusted monthly. And so as interest rates go up, the cost of those balances is going to go up as well, so you're going to want to keep an eye on that. Um, if you are looking at buying a house, be patient uh, as the mortgage costs are going up to finance that is probably going to slow sales. We're already starting to see that, that um, turnover is starting to slow down. Um, we're probably going to see hopefully larger inventory because of this, less bidding wars, less offers on the same house, longer times to sell, um, things of that nature. Since the interest rate increase is so sudden, I think it might take some time for, for that to, to kind of carry over. So <clears throat> keep an eye on it for the next couple months, and I think we are going to see some changes in the housing market. Um, another thing, you know, for the past couple years, when we're looking at mortgages, whether you're doing a refinance or whether you're doing a purchase, we're really comparing 15 to 30 year fixed mortgages. That's really all anybody has been looking at. But now um, with interest rates going up, I think it could make sense to start looking at some adjustable rate mortgages, some arms. Um, because of things that the Fed has been doing, there really hasn't been a difference in interest rate between the fixed loans and the adjustable rate loans for the past couple of years. So obviously, you know, if there's no change or there's no difference, you're going to go with a fixed rate. But now with rates going up, I think we are going to start to see a spread in interest rates between the fixed loans and the adjustable rate loans. So, you know, if you look at a, a 30 year mortgage and the rate is five and a half percent, but you can get an adjustable rate loan for like, the low fours, that could save you some money. Um, and the way those loans work is you've got an introductory period of five, seven, maybe 10 years where the rate is fixed, and then it doesn't start to get adjustable until after that. 
And in many cases, the average person doesn't live in the same house for five, seven, ten years. Usually it's much less than that. So depending on your situation, if you're only planning on living in a house for a couple years, I think those adjustable rate mortgages um, are really something to, to consider depending on how the interest rates continue to go forward from here. And, and Harrison, that's one thing that uh, people don't realize. I remember this from years ago. It scares people, but if they have someone like yourself can actually work out the numbers and say, yeah, it may seem like gonna pay more because oh, it's gonna go up and so forth. But if you understand the, the, the adjustments that can happen, how often they can happen and so forth, you may not be taking as much risk as you think and can actually save yourself money Especially, you're right, people don't live in a house for 30 years any longer. So this, again, is where a financial planner comes in to actually look at these differences and let the client know, well, if you do this, this would happen. But if you do this, this could be better. Yeah, I mean, looking at houses, especially in Southern California, have gotten so expensive where a percent and a half difference on your interest between a, a variable rate and a fixed rate, I mean, it could save you a 1000 bucks a month. Um, just depending on what the spread is. So it's absolutely worth considering. And now if you're saying, okay, well, this is my forever home. I'm never going to move again. You know, that's one thing. But if this is a starter home or if you're, you know, still considering moving around, maybe you're going to move out of California at some point, really take a look at those adjustable rate mortgages because I think there could be an opportunity for those. And then, you know, if you don't sell, we can always look at refinancing again in the future into a fixed rate. So it's not like you're locked into one, loan forever, we, there's always going to be opportunities to, to change in the future if we need to. Hey, you know, Harrison, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, listening to you here, if there's ever been a study done, I'm sure there has been, but what are the percent of people that stay in a home forever? Is it 10%, 30%, 40%? It also, too, maybe depend on the area, because I think in California, it would be different than it could be in Tennessee. It just kind of puts it the odds in the favor. What's that? Yeah, it does depend on the area. Also, age makes a big difference. People that are older tend to stay in a house for a longer period of time, where people that are younger tend to move around a lot more. Um, so I, I know there are some statistics out there. I don't have all the numbers on the top of my head. But, um, you know, again, depending on the situation, those adjustable rate mortgages could make a lot more sense especially right now. Yeah, and, and it's funny, it sounds like you have kind of looked at that a little bit because again, these are important things as a financial planner, you look at when you sit down to talk to somebody, you kind of know some numbers and what numbers to look at as opposed to saying, oh yeah, fixed rate is just better, just go ahead and do it. No, maybe not. That's why you got to talk about things. All righty? Yeah, absolutely. Have a, thanks for the call guys. We'll, we'll see you on Monday. You too, Harrison. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line 833 288-0973, that's 833-288-0973. Again, that's Harrison Johnson, our CFP. If you wanna sit down and talk with him for a free consultation, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, send him an email there, talk to him that way as well. But again, he's there. And again, he is on a salary. He's not gonna charge you commissions for selling you annuities or, or anything else. Um, he's a, he's on a, uh, a salary only and uh, it's on a fee base. So uh, give him a call. All right, uh, phone numbers here again, 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Carlos and speak with Steve. Steve, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, Brent Chase. How you doing today? Good. How you doing? 
doing just fine. Thanks for asking. I wanted to ask about uh, one of the only offshore uh, contractors to survive the great bankruptcy uh, a few years back, which was Transocean uh, Rig, R-I-G is the, the ticker. Um, I have a feeling with you know just over 200 offshore rigs and them contracting most of them, that uh, the volume might pick up a lot here, uh, as well as the price of stock given their, their recent... Um, their recent report. Okay, yeah, and that's a good way to kind of look at it, uh, and I've known this company for years. I think I actually held this company, I want to say maybe back in the 90s, I think I, I held this company. So let's take a look at uh, Transocean, symbol is R-I-G. They are in the oil and, dr- and gas drilling industry. Uh, kind of high in the float here, 9.9%. So there are some people that kind of maybe pushing that, which could be a squeeze on that if uh, things don't go the direction they thought. Institutional ownership is only 50.9%. Unfortunately, no PE ratio for the last 12 months, uh, same as the industry. Price of sales, 1.3. That's more expensive than the industry of 0.5. Price of book value, 0.3 versus 1.6. Now, this is the price of tangible book value. 0.3 means you're paying 30 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company. That's a pretty strong uh, buy signal there. You gotta look at other things as well, but I'm just saying you're paying 30 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company. Price of cash flow, 5.6 versus 6.1. Now, they had no earnings growth over the last one year or twelve year, or, or five years. Uh, the sales growth is actually negative. I, this kind of surprised me, but I think we're kind of talking about things maybe changing. Uh, the sales growth of the last year is down 18.9, but the industry is down 29.5. We do see, wow, a five-year growth rate estimate from the analysts of 156% for Transocean versus 17.2. So it sounds like they're kind of agreeing with you that things in the future will be changing. They do not pay a dividend. Let's take a look at the balance sheet. They got a current ratio 1.9 versus 1.8. That is positive. Debt to equity, 0.7 versus 1.3, so a nice balance sheet there. We do see a net profit margin right now, a negative 23.2 versus a 12.1 negative, and then return to equity, also negative 5.3 versus 10% for the industry. Chase, I'm very curious going forward if we got earnings going forward for this company. Yeah, well, to start, let's look at the current price here for rig. It's $5.03, 52-week high, $5.56, and 52-week low, $2.63. Year-to-date return here, up 82.2%. So it, it's had a phenomenal start to the year. Uh, again, as the energy price have done well. But gosh, I look at the 10-year return here down 89.3% over that 10-year period. So and I sold it before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this company has been very, very volatile, and it appears it's continuing to be volatile. Uh, market cap, it, it's not too small, actually. Still about $3.3 billion in terms of the market cap. Still a good amount of analysts following it too. I see there's 13, but but the unfortunate part is I, I'm greatly disappointed. Go out to December 2023, I see they're still estimating a loss of 48 cents. Even the high analyst is a loss of 20 cents. So I, I'm not sure why they're not benefiting, why they can't turn a profit here if energy prices are going to remain a little bit higher. So right. I, I, at what point do they need oil prices to be at to have profit margins, that that that's that's a, a great concern to me here. And, and Steve, one thing the idea I, I like guys about them is, is that they contract with um, most most companies, you know, Royal Dutch Shell, etc., who are almost um, agnostic to this this conflict in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. So, 
I feel like uh, the less gas that's imported to Western Europe and the rest of the world from there, the more that offshore drilling from the United States could benefit. Yeah, and, and the thing now, that of I'm course, not, that depends on the administration. Yeah, <laughs> right. And the thing that I'm not understanding is, is Royal Dutch Shell and these big, are they taking advantage of RIG? Because they're making money. Why is yeah. RIG losing money? <laughs> I, I was thinking of the same thing, yeah. <clears throat> and, and the they thing, got a bunch of shiny new ships. I don't know. I hope they use them. <laughs> uh, but, but what kind of worries me, too, is that maybe oil... <clears throat> won't stay at the prices that we think it's going to stay at. And again, I talked last week, and it could have changed now, but the uh, future price for oil in December was like $88 a barrel. So maybe that's what these analysts are seeing as well, and that's why they're seeing the negatives, because they're saying they can't make money because they think that, and again, we're looking out to December 2023, that maybe by that time oil they think will be down again, and therefore you know, Transocean can't make any money. So I, 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 I don't... I was excited about it when he first called in about it, but I, I, I could not recommend <laughs> yeah, to buy on it now. <laughs> and I think, honestly, I mean, the stock price could go up if energy continues to go higher. But, I mean, this is one, as you said, it, it survived during the, the tough time. If the t- tough time does come again, I don't know how much longer they can survive. Uh, I, I got him at four and a quarter, so I'll set that stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go on. Why not to use stops? But um, be you know, careful. Be so, careful. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll put a warning on there for you. All right, Steve. Thanks, fellas. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. All right, that does open up the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. We got a slow day, and I see that people. I see a couple of people call in. And all of a sudden, they, they hang up or we lose them. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. They're on cell phones. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm not quite sure. But I was going to say, too, I, I mean, we talked about the workshop already. Uh, another good tool for people is, you know, you kind of hear the way we go over the, the numbers. And you might ah, it's a little hard to follow along sometimes. Well, we do have our YouTube videos as well. We call it the Smart Investing Weekly Stock Analysis, where we actually go over in a little more detail what we talk about here on the radio show the one we did yesterday, we, we covered Southwest Airlines. The one we did the week before was 3M. And I said, gosh, we're giving our YouTube viewers a, a little bit too much insight here because we right. like both those companies. But uh, if you want to see those videos, you just go on YouTube, type in the Smart Investing Show, uh, and you can see our weekly stock analysis there. And I think when I do the YouTube video, I think it's about 10, maybe 15 minutes. About yeah. yeah. So so we spend a little more time. We kind of talk about different things, try to really help educate you. Uh, spend a little more time looking at a, a, a company and why. I mean, here on the radio show, we can't spend 10, 15 minutes because, well, normally we get a lot of phone calls. Today, I don't know what happened. Maybe the phones aren't working today. I don't That's know. That's foggy. It's, people are probably still sleeping. There we go. Yeah, people are still sleeping. But, uh, yeah, but but uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll spend more time on the YouTube videos, try to talk about different things, try to help educate on different things. And, and, and again, the, the, the workshop is something that we spend about, uh, the workshop probably lasts about 70 minutes, I think is yeah. what, it, what it lasts. And, and we go over many things to help you really understand about investing. Uh, some things what not to do, some things you should be doing. And, and again, we do disclose everything I've done for, again, 40 years experience on how I got to the situation now, how I developed the individualized concentrated value portfolio, why value investing, why we do the things we do. So uh, always love doing those. It, it, it is free, but you got to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And again, that is Thursday, April 7th, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. It is free, but you got to sign up for it. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Jason, I did want to talk a little bit about predictions for inflation and growth. Uh, last week, the uh, FOMC 
did meet and discuss their predictions for inflation and growth in the economy over the next couple of years. They're looking for inflation of 2.7% in 2023 and 2.3% 2 in 2024. These targets may seem off and they could prove to be conservative if the Fed does not take action. I do believe that the Fed got it wrong over a year ago when they said that inflation was transitory, but... They are also predicting GDP as well. So GDP for 2022, they're looking at 2.8%. That is down from the 4% they initially forecasted. And then also for 2023, they're looking for growth of 2.2%, followed by 2% in 2024. So we're looking at kind of slower growth here going forward. These numbers, I feel, are reasonable. However, I feel we could see a slight recession in 2023, maybe develop later in the year. Time will tell on both myself, ourself, and the FOMC will adjust forecasts as time moves on and other data develops. And, and I will say on the inflation, again, we're talking 2023 and 2020, people are saying, there's no way. Mm -hmm. Again, remember, we had 8% <clears throat> CPI last month. Yeah. Well, now you're lapping that. I, I think a lot yeah. of times people forget about when you lap a higher number, it's hard to have 8% compound on 8%. That's why I think these are quite reasonable expectations. Now, if the Fed does nothing and they keep buying right. bonds and we keep issuing money, yeah, we're going to have issues here. But if we don't do more government spending, if we increase interest rates, I, I think these are very realistic expectations. And the other thing, too, that people don't realize that when something happens, it changes direction of what is going to happen going forward. You have that 8% inflation, well, you know, gas went up. Well, I believe people are buying less gas now. They're trying to find ways how to reduce their consumption. So it, ch when things happen, it changes the direction of the way things will go, and therefore you can't base it on what happened in the past. You have to say, well, what's going to change in the future? And what I like about this too is that I still believe it gives us a good investing environment. You're not going to be making 25, 30% on your portfolio, but if you can do 10, maybe 12% on your portfolio by buying the right companies, I think this is an environment with this type of inflation, this type of GDP, you can do if you do it correctly. Um, and very important for your 401k and, and for your iris and everything else. Yeah, I, I, I think people always have that doomsday because they look back to 2020, they look back to you know 2008, 2009, and, and 2020 was so quick for people, I think it they don't think about it as much, but I can't go through another 2008, 2009. And I do not see that happening for, I don't know, the next five, 10 years, yeah. <clears throat> and it could be even longer. But you know, right now, I guess there's no inklings about that potential. And, you know, and I ask, like, why? Why can't you go through another 2008, 2009? It came back if you did the right things. Now, if you did silly things and you bought things that went bankrupt, yeah, of course, you don't want to do that again. But if you bought good quality businesses, they went down on price. And we talk all the time, they're between volatility and risk. I have no problems with volatility because I know I'm not investing for next month or, or six months down the road. I think a longer term. So I have no problem that if we had another 2008 and things went down 25%, I'm okay with that because, well, things will get better. This United States, yeah. we will get through this. And, and you bring up a great point. I'm going to pick on people here a little bit because you talk to people and say, I can't go through another 2008, 2009. It took me you know, 10 years to get back to where I was. Well, that tells me you did something really silly. It should not have taken you 10 years to go back to your 2007 level. Yeah. I mean, that means you sold at the bottom most likely. If you do silly things, yeah, you're right. You can't go through another yeah. 2008, 2009. But if you do the right things, 2008, 2009 only took about a year and a half to you know three years, depending on what you did, to recover. And we that was the hardest time 
since 1929. I looked over. It's already 8.54. Let's take a, one more call before, <laughs> yeah, before the show's over. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Wayne. Wayne, you're the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. This isn't about an oil stock this week. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at Jack in the Box, J-A-C-K. They're going to be buying Del Taco. There's a merger, you know, an offer out there that's been accepted. So I'm just wondering what you think about that. You know, I'm, we kind of talked about this early in the show because we were talking about uh, uh, energy and and right. uh, so forth and and, and uh, biodiesel. So so let's take a look at the Jack using in the Box. cooked oil, using, using cooked oil or used cooking oil to power you know cars and stuff. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, they've so, done that for a long time though. Yeah. Oh, they they have. Well, you mean Jack in the Box has or it's been done done? No, for different people have converted their gas engines to run on cooking oil. Oh yeah, you, you yeah. can buy. You can buy that modification. Right, yeah, but it, but it's now like something that could be even better, be, be more mass-produced. But let's say look at the Jack in the Box. I'm excited to look at this. I actually used to work for them, so my first accounting <laughs> job was at Jack in the Box. I used to be a food maker. Uh, their symbol is J-A-C-K. Uh, we do see, wow, 12% float. Uh, that's kind of uh, short. That's kind of high for a company. Uh, institutional ownership, well, this is probably because of float, 102.9%, so I'm not liking what I'm seeing so far. I do like the P.E. ratio, though, 12.2 versus 33.5. Price of sales, 1.8 versus 3. Unfortunately, no price of tangible book value, which means they have, take away all the intangible assets, there's no value to the company. Price of cash flow, 10 versus 17.5, and a nice peg ratio of 1.2 versus 4.4. Uh, Looking at the earnings growth, over the last year, they're up 10% for Jack in the Box, but the industry up 107. Sounds like a strange number there. Sales did climb by 3.3%. Industry up 21.2%. We do say they pay a dividend of 2%. Use 24% of the earnings to pay that out. We also see that on the balance sheet, you got a current ratio of not very good, 0.6 versus 1.4. That kind of worries me. Could they have a liquidity problem going down the road? You want to find out why that is so low. Uh, debt to equity, nothing there versus one for the industry. We see that net profit margin, 13.4 versus 9.4 and return on equity, a negative 19.6 versus 156 negative for the industry. I'm kind of disappointed here. I'm hoping something better from you, Chase. Yeah, well, we start here. The, the current price for Jack in the Box, $89.56. 52-week high, well, that's $124.53. And the low, $76.50. I see year-to-date, they're up 2.9%. Very shocked by this market cap at just $1.8 billion. I thought they were bigger than that. But I go out to, this, uh, excuse me, September 2023. They report on a fiscal basis, $7.36. Gives the target sell price $122.18. So the valuation's there. The balance sheet's a little wonky. I, I know it's likely because they're right. a franchise-type company. Yeah. And I, to be quite frank, I, I have never understood why franchise-run companies just don't have equity. Yeah. Or it's very low equity. Right. And their debt to equity is always very troublesome. So... I don't want to say no on it, but you just really have to do a lot of research on it. Yeah, sheet. and you bring up a good point because it is a franchise company, and that same thing with hotels and stuff. It looks a lot differently, but I know they do own some locations, so you got to do a little more research into this to, to see is it is it good, is it not good, um, because there's potential there for it, and and I I like their food. I mean, I think in my opinion they're one of the best fast food companies there. So yeah, yeah, and I I'm Can't curious. Can't beat the tacos. Yeah, I was going to say, do you eat there, Wayne? Sounds like you do. <laughs> Once in a while. Once in a while. <laughs> do you own the stock? No, I did years ago, and I sold it. I wish I hadn't sold it. Yeah. It was under $30 a share then. Oh, wow. So that's why. Yeah. 
Uh, it could be worth buying it again. What, what's the truck I sell price again, Chase? It's like one twenty two. One twenty two. Yeah, I mean the valuation looks good. It's just that balance sheet, yeah. and I, yeah. I'm still shocked. It's under a two billion dollar market cap. And maybe it's because it's here in San Diego, so you see it a lot more. You know, they, they did actually sell. I think they sold. I think they owned Cadobo, Cadobo or something. Yeah. yeah so they maybe. Sold that. Yeah. So so that may have brought down the market cap. But somewhat. I thought maybe buying Del Taco would give them some impetus in the earnings. You know. Yeah. They, they they bought Del Taco. Yeah. They're buying. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's the closing bell. Sorry, Wayne. We got to go. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for information's purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If I discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 546 4306. That's 858 546 4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information along investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Have a great Saturday. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. Tears subside. I find it all so amusing.